Good morning, Crosslanes Baptist, and Merry Christmas. My name is Nathan Polk. I'm excited to be here with you today. I serve on the church planning team working with college students at the church in Morgantown. And I tell everyone everywhere I go and every time I come here that I appreciate Crosslanes Baptist Church and your investment as in me as I serve in ministry and also your investment uh, in communities not only around this state but across the world uh, as you share the gospel with, with people to the ends of the earth. I'm excited to be from Crosslanes Baptist and I'm excited today to share with Crosslanes Baptist. Today you don't have to turn there but I'm going to begin by reading from Luke chapter 2. God's word says this in verse 22, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The day of Christ's birth marked the occasion on which God's plan for the redemption of, human, of humanity from sin's reign began its course in the person of Jesus. This is what I would consider a crossroads. Yes, God's chosen people, Israel, found themselves here at our crossroads, but also did the Gentiles find themselves here, the nations observing from afar God's historic arc of redemption. God unveiled his plan for the whole of the world through Israel in the face of the child that Simeon held in this text, and he commands his creation to respond. And Simeon knew this. He assents to his life's conclusion, saying he can be dismissed in peace, for he has seen God's pillar of salvation and judgment. Simeon prophetically proclaimed that Mary's little boy would be the basis for the heavenward rise or hellward fall of many. And the rest of the Bible affirms this, that those who respond in faith to Jesus will have eternal salvation and an eternal destination with him. And those who respond in obedience will garner his favor and peace. This morning, Simeon's Christmas crossroads and charge to obedience points us to our main text. Today, we're going to approach Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 in a message called Consider the Ancient Paths. Consider the ancient paths. Join me in reading God's word. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient ways. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. But they protested, we won't. Pray with me. God, today, after celebrating the incarnation of your son, Jesus, we come here to make decisions for the new year. I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, 
and the fact that we can be rescued from our sins, saved from eternal punishment, and saved to communion with you. And I pray that that realization would drive us toward a new kind of awareness of your purposes for our lives and would drive us to a bolder, more faithful obedience in our daily activity. God, we gather here today not to hear me. We gather here today not to see each other primarily. We gather here today to worship you and to find rest in your word. I pray that our hearts would be receptive to that, would be open to your speech. And then at all things that we would grow closer to you as a result of our worship and our study. And I pray that you would prepare me for this time and that my words would not be a hindrance or a distraction from what you're trying to say from your word. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Today from Jeremiah, we're going to consider three actions that should accompany a consideration of the ancient paths. Three actions that could, should accompany consideration of the ancient paths. And the first one is this. Consider the ancient paths and remember. Consider the ancient paths and remember. Now, we only read one verse for our scripture today, but I think it would be helpful to find some context on who our speaker is to understand more fully what his message to the people of Judah is. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1, we read that the prophet was the son of Hilkiah, a priest living in Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Now, Anathoth was a Benjaminite city. It was ceded by the tribe of Benjamin to the Levitical priests in the book of Joshua. And historically, this was a seat of great religious influence. If you remember Abiathar, the traitorous high priest of David and Solomon's age, he lived in the same city from which Jeremiah comes. Jeremiah would have hailed from among this influential priestly order. It's possible that the Hilkiah mentioned as his father is the same Hilkiah from 2 Kings 22 who was the high priest of the nation. And I find it doubtful that Jeremiah was a priest himself because he was called at such a young age to the ministry of prophecy. But there is no question that he was familiar with God's prescribed relationship with his chosen people. Jeremiah, in his proximity to this great city and to these great people, would have understood that God's relationship with his people was covenantal. God's people have always been his people through covenant relationship by faith. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 affirms that the Jews have always, quote, won God's approval by faith, both before and after the Mosaic law was given at Mount Sinai. So Jeremiah's identity gave him great familiarity with the covenant demand of faith and the code from which Judah had strayed. And both in faith and in action, Judah is said to have faltered in his prophecies. We further read in the first chapter of Jeremiah that the word of the Lord came to the prophet in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, king of Judah. And you may remember the story of Josiah as the boy king turned reformer who recovered the book of the law from the temple and cast down the high places in the nation and burned the Asherah pole in the valley. While there was great sin in Judah, a handful of faithful men and women like Josiah remained as a stark contrast to the evil majority who was entertaining sin across the nation. Jeremiah's political context gave him great familiarity with the ways in which Judah had strayed from God's plan. We read finally in the first chapter of Jeremiah that the word of the Lord came to him. 
And it's helpful that we have political context. It's helpful that we have personal context. But most importantly, though Jeremiah's earthly relationships were relevant to his ministry, his heavenly revelations drove everything he did. Jeremiah's call and message gave him great familiarity with the ways in which Israel could be redeemed. This word he received from the Lord was the way that Judah could could be reconciled to their God. God positioned Jeremiah uniquely to understand the ancient paths. And because of his heritage, he knew well the promises of the old covenant and the law's demands. Because of his context, he knew well the people's disobedience. And because of his call and message, he knew well God's design for salvation and punishment. For the first five chapters of the book of Jeremiah, the prophet communicates the threat of judgment to both Judah and her crown jewel, Jerusalem. The northern ten tribes at this point had already fallen to Assyria sometime around 722 B.C. and been deported. So later in the chapter when he says that there's a a threat, an army coming from a northern land, this threat is credible and it's terrifying. Jeremiah, from a place of great experience and exposure, presents an opportunity for reversal of this judgment. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths, which is the way to what is good. As we enter the new year, there's much that many of us would say about ancient paths, or as you might have heard it, the old paths. Looking ahead, there's much to criticize and bemoan, and finding culprits for the faults in our society is not a difficult task. Many criticize the young people for changes in culture that threaten the influence of the church, and they call us to return to an old way. Many criticize consumerism for minimizing our value of deep, reflective interaction with ideas, calling for a return to better days. Many criticize the continual improvement of technology, calling for a return to simpler times. And while I agree in part with some of these sentiments, there is no era which has evaded the basic spiritual problems of man. It does not matter whether you grew up in the 2000s, whether you grew up in the 1980s, whether you grew up however much further back than that. Whatever era you're from, humanity has never evaded the basic problem, basic spiritual problem of man. Jeremiah best summarized the depravity of Jerusalem this way. If you find one person who acts justly, who seeks to be faithful, then I will forgive her. Our culture may demonstrate new expressions of evil, but the evil itself is no more novel than the air we breathe. The sin of today is as deep, as extreme, and as far-reaching as it was in Jeremiah's time. Therefore, when Jeremiah says that we should ask about ancient paths... He does not mean we should ask about dead relics or performative symbols from past years. Dr. Thomas Constable says it this way. The people refused to follow the old paths. Probably they confused the ancient ways with obsolete ways, as many in our day do. Jeremiah is not instructing a ritualistic recovery of obsolete ways from past years. And if he is not, what did he mean when he said, ask about the ancient paths? Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Great Wall of China, and we went to the section of the wall called the Mutinyu section. It's 45 minutes from Beijing. There's 23 watchtowers along this one-and-a-half-mile span. It's a very, very impressive structure. And while the views were breathtaking, I could not help but notice that the utility of the walls had gone to zero over the years that had passed. 
What was once a major source of security and pride for these dynastic Chinese rulers became nothing more than a tourist attraction. The true source of wonder at the wall was not the wall itself because its purpose had diminished. Rather, it was the spirit and the ambition of the men who had built this lasting structure that was most impressive. In a more spiritual sense, it's the same with Jeremiah's admonition. He calls Judah back to the ancient paths, not in order to revive physical relics or practices, but to reignite a spirit of faith and obedience for the people. The ancient paths he references are the ways to what are good, as revealed in God's holy word. And friends, we're standing at the roadways much like a lost traveler would who's trying to find the next path that he will follow. God is calling us at the close of this year to remember the ancient paths and choose our next steps carefully. Remember not your preferred cultural markers of Christianity from past years. I'm sure those are cherished memories and I'm sure those were formative for you at a time, but it is not most essential that we return to obsolete ways. It is most essential that we revive the essentials of the faith and remember God's plan for us, that we would remember his promises and obey in faith. When we remember the promises of Scripture and the eternal hope we have in God, we find evergreen and powerful deterrence of sinful wandering. At this Christmas crossroads, we must consider the ancient paths and remember. And secondly, we must consider the ancient paths and walk in them. We must consider the ancient paths and walk in them. I find it interesting that such a deeply religious people could stray from a God who had proven himself to be so real. The God of their fathers is the God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, and delivered them into freedom. It's the God who had rescued them from the people of the land and had secured for them a promised land that they could have as as a home. And yet they've fallen away from he who had proven himself to be so real and had preserved their history even in the midst of hardship. And what I would like to do is approach the structure of Judah's religious environment and find what might have contributed to their spiritual ruin. And I think by doing this, we're going to see clearly what it means to follow the ancient paths and walk of them in them rather than stray from them. So let's look at their religious structure of the, the time of Jeremiah and see what God has for us. First, we find that the priestly order is to some degree intact. The religious order seems to be largely here for a couple of different reasons. First, the high priest is speaking with King Josiah at the temple in 2 Kings 22, which is a contemporary event to Jeremiah. So to some degree, the priests are still influential, still functioning, and still in interaction with national leadership. Jeremiah himself was the son of a priest. And later, or earlier, if you go back to verse 13 of Jeremiah 6, we see that prophet and priest are still active in the land. There are still what they would call wise men or religious leaders active and in authority in Judah. The priestly order is somewhat intact, and their religious sentiment is somewhat intact. In 2 Kings 22 and 23, King Josiah's attempts at reform are described. And these events... Uh, In these events, King Josiah noticed that the people of Judah had erected poles, had erected high places, had built altars and incense burners for idolatrous worship. Now, these are not valid attempts at worship of the one true God, but they do demonstrate some religious yearning of the people. 
These people wanted the comfort of religiosity and were willing to complete rites to attain it, but they were not willing to obey the God of their fathers. Religion was here even if the one true God was not. The priestly order is intact. Religious sentiment is present. And lastly, ritual sacrifice is still being performed. In Jeremiah 6 and verse 20, later from the text I read earlier, it says, What used to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. So they're still performing ritual sacrifice. The priestly order is intact. Religious sentiment is still present in the hearts of the people. In a very disjointed manner, Judah maintained a crude religious superstructure based on the forms of the law. Why did Jeremiah command them to walk in a good way if they were already supremely religious? Psalm 51 and verse 16 and 17 says this, You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. The performance of worship, the performance of religion is not true worship. The performance of religion is not true worship. Burnt offerings and sacrifices do not substitute for what Psalm 51 calls a broken and humbled heart or what Romans 12.1 calls the living sacrifice of our bodies. This is not a physical sacrifice, but a spiritual posture of servitude and humility. The people of Judah over the years had emphasized religious performance over true worship. Because of this, the form took the place of the subject, who was God. And once form replaced subject, the leap was not far to attach that form to other subjects that were more convenient and less demanding. And thus, the devolvement was complete. The people were more enamored with idols than the God of their fathers when form became the chief end of religion. At this Christmas crossroads, we've recovered the true end of religion, who was Yahweh God himself, by considering the ancient paths and remembering the promises of God's word. Here now, we recover our rights when we reorient our religious activity away from performance and toward humble service. And I would ask you to ask yourselves about the purpose, your purposes in your daily life. Our deepest values are revealed not by what we say, but what we do consistently. Even the most common daily actions are to some degree religious rites in that everything we do, we do either for God's glory or we do in offense of God. The people of Judah knew that the ancient paths, knew what the ancient paths were intellectually, but their actions did not align with what they knew to be the truth. They shamelessly claimed that they walked in the right way when they boldly, publicly lived a religion that was foreign to heaven. Jeremiah 2 Verse 23 says this, How can you protest? I am not defiled. I have not followed the bales. Look at your behavior in the valley and acknowledge what you have done. There is no such distinction as sacred or secular in the life of the Christian. Today at the crossroads, we must choose either an authentic heart expression of an understanding of the good way of God or we must choose a shamelessly avoidant hypocrisy. Crosslands Baptist Church I think we would rather be known for our authentic obedience. What is your plan this year for walking in the way of the ancient paths? Do you have a plan for reading God's word this year? 
If not, I'd recommend you find one and immerse yourself in God's instructions. Do you have a plan for participating in a Bible fellowship group and reading in community God's word, studying how you would apply that in your workplace or in your school? If you do not have an intention to participate in such a group, I would recommend finding that intention. Do you have a plan to care for the least of these that are your neighbors or your classmates or your workmates? If you don't have a plan for that, I would recommend finding the compassion necessary to reach that goal. Do you have a plan, a fire to share the gospel with those that are around you lost and dying and going to hell? If not, I would recommend lighting that fire. It's not enough to remember you must do. And in doing, your sacrifice will be a pleasing aroma and a worthy gift. At this Christmas crossroads, we must firstly consider the ancient paths and remember. We must secondly consider the ancient paths and walk in them. And we must thirdly consider the ancient paths and find rest. At this Christmas crossroads, we've recovered the true end of our religion, Yahweh God himself, by considering the ancient paths and remembering the promises of God's word. We've recovered our rights by reorienting our daily religious activity away from empty performance and toward humble servitude of God. Finally, we're going to find peace upon peace in God's rest. The Bible says in verse 16 here that those who take the way that is good find rest. Now, the false prophets of the land had already claimed in Judah that their sin was no reason for worry. Look back with me at verse 13 and 14. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is making profit dishonestly. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. The truth is that there is no rest, no peace in the clutches of sin. The Bible demonstrates time and again that rest is found for those who remember God's command to faith, a faith that redirects one's life away from sin. When Moses died, the Bible said that his eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. God took him to himself before he was aged unto death and blessed his faith with a swift journey to heaven. Moses considered the ancient paths and found rest in God. When Elijah's ministry reached completion, the bold opponent of Baal stepped under the Lord's chariot by the river Jordan and rode in the glory. His life and the conclusion of his life are a record of God's power, but they're also a record that Elijah considered the ancient paths and found rest in God. Now, God's rest is not only for the great men of the Old Testament. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, even to us, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I'll give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And while the old covenant that Jeremiah knew in chapter 6 anticipated rest, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 announce and offer final rest in the new covenant that is sealed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the completion of God's promised redemptive work, and only through him can final peaceful rest be attained. This rest is with us daily in the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who teaches us all things and reminds us of everything Jesus taught. And it is also eternal when and where death will no longer exist and the old things will pass away. 
What wonderful news this is that considering the ancient past introduces us to Jesus, whose arrest not only for now, but for forever. For everyone in a pew this morning or behind a screen this morning, Jeremiah's message is simple. If you'll stand by the roadways and consider the ancient paths, remembering God's promises and obeying his instruction, you will find rest. The ancient paths are not burdensome weights around your neck. The ancient paths are not soul-crushing legal demands. The ancient paths culminate in the fulfillment of your created purpose, glorifying God with the entirety of your being. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning, the Christmas crossroads that Simeon pronounced and Jeremiah proclaimed is not between heaven and hell, but between rest and chaos. Instead of assuming the childlike faith that responds to the command, take the path, some of you have built high places in your heart and in your home. Some of you sound much like those that Jeremiah quotes here at the end of verse 16, but they protested, we won't. We won't listen, we won't follow, we won't take the path. Do not be as these people were. Return to the God of your salvation and take advantage of this next year as a time to stand in the roadways and reassess your walk with God. This is a time for recommitment to faithfulness, a time to remember God's promises for your life and to be willfully submissive to his purposes for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, the Christmas crossroads is most certainly one between eternal heaven or eternal hell. The Bible says that because all of us have sinned and disobeyed God, we've fallen short of the level necessary for us to be relating rightly to our Father. And because of this, we're sentenced to an eternity in hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life, die a terrible death, and raise victoriously from the grave so that we did not have to experience the consequences of our sin. In his great mercy and grace, he's given us the opportunity to respond in faith. So if you today do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, today is the day to see the ancient path of God's promises, to see the opportunity of faith that you have before you and take that so you'll be rightly related with your creator. The ancient paths are not a place, they're a way. Remember them, walk in them, and find rest in this new year. Let's pray. God, today we reflect on the ancient paths. We remember your covenant with us that if we are to believe in the work of Christ, we can be saved, we can rightly relate to you. We can have a life of rest on this earth and we can have an eternity of rest in the place the Bible calls heaven. God, today I pray for those that do not have that personal relationship that as they go into this new year, they would recognize the ancient paths enumerated in Scripture and respond in faith. Today is the day to be rightly related to God. For those of us that are here and we're committed to this local body and uh, have, have repented of our sins in faith and have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that we would not become stagnant, stagnant, empty, and hypocritical in our faith. God, I pray that you would renew us as we consider the ancient paths and 
freshly review your promises to us. God, your faithfulness and your spirit empowers us to do more than we could possibly imagine. And we can see your plan come to fruition in our lives as a result of our faithful obedience. God, that needs to be us. I pray that our heart would be one that responds in a new way to you this year. And that those who might have fallen lax in their obedience, they would find a new joy in relationship with you. God, everything we do, I pray that we would do it for your glory. I pray for this church and their continual service to this community and to the ends of the earth. God, this is a good place, and I pray that you would continue to bless it with peace and continue to bless it by using it as a part of your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.